0: Welcome to TALC, Teaching and Learning Consultation Skills. This is the TALC Talks podcast, helping everyone who sees patients to improve their consultation skills, to get better outcomes, and this approach can even increase your job satisfaction. This podcast is part two. It concerns the module... Talk Advanced Skills for Effective Explanations and Planning of Personalised Care and is part of the chapter Empowering Explanations for Persistent or Functional Symptoms. In the podcast part one I talked about the background to these symptoms, how they arise, what we have to think about and how it is that modern neuroscience has rendered persistent or, phys- or functional symptoms explainable we should abandon the term medically unexplained symptoms, which is not helpful to patients and often makes them feel as though they're being treated as if their pain or their suffering is imaginary. In this podcast, I'm going to focus much more on the explanation, how to explain such syndromes in ways that help clinician and patients move forwards. There's a lively interchange in both directions between body and mind, but it is not helpful to explain such symptoms simply in terms of psychological distress. And there are several reasons for this. If we use psychological explanations, patients take that to mean that you're really saying it's all in your head, and that this really means that your suffering is not real, or that your suffering is imaginary. This is very unhelpful, and at times even cruel to those whose lives are a constant struggle with pain or other symptoms, which can have disabling effects on every aspect of life. While chronic or childhood trauma can be part of the predisposing conditions for persistent physical symptoms, this is not always the case. Even if the patient has experienced trauma, they may be unaware of it, for example, difficulties in infancy or very early life. If patients are aware of having suffered trauma or abuse, it's likely to be even more traumatising to be asked to revisit those events in a consultation in which they want to focus on their present pain and suffering. As the patient's distress is a bodily distress when there are persistent physical symptoms or functional symptoms, it makes more sense to use bodily explanations. And here are some principles for doing this. First of all, it's helpful to link symptoms to the physiology that underpins the functioning of different symptoms and to refer to generally understood processes such as sprains or tightness in the gut and using fight, flight, freeze or fawn responses in explanations. Explaining the effects of long-term stress may be useful on occasions to clarify how changes in hormones like cortisol can affect many systems in the body. It's helpful to have useful terms too, for example, the term wear and repair is positive and preferable to the term wear and tear, which is often used about OA. Wear and tear doesn't sound like something that you're going to get better from, does it? There are some other examples of possible explanatory approaches in the resources section of the written chapter document, which is in this module. Clinicians can also use jargon words such as allodynia or hyperalgesia with clear explanations of these phenomena in simple language. Explaining to someone that that they are suffering from allodynia where minor stimuli such as light touch can be felt as painful can be helpful. And also naming the fact that their sensitivity is increased by calling it hyperalgesia can also be useful. It's possible to demonstrate this to patients. For example, it's quite often that areas of the body are very sensitive to light touch, which is felt as painful. And you can demonstrate to this by using a part of the body which is not painful and stroking it gently and saying this is a non-painful touch. Use the same touch on the painful area of the body and say, see how the same touch here is perceived as very painful. This is called allodynia. Learning that their experiences have a proper medical name can be helpful for those who feel that their suffering has not been recognised. Allodynia can occur in many different parts of the body, including such phenomena, phenomena as vulvodynia. Using these kinds of explanations can help to develop the understanding that not all hurt means harm. This is a really crucial concept. Some pain is helpful because, after all, it does help us to get our hands out of a fire quickly. But chronic pain is generally not linked to actual damage or actual harm in the body. It's better understood as the pain system itself becoming reset to a highly sensitive level, like a radio volume dial being turned up too high. Naming people's experiences and feelings accurately, for example, hyperalgesia, and exploring their impact can help patients to feel better understood. Clinicians can record the symptoms as well as accurately naming and empathising with the feelings that the symptoms cause. You might want to look at talc skills for building effective relationships to develop this further. Another key idea is to use appropriate comparisons or metaphors, including explanations of the effects of a vicious circle, which can also be helpful. For example, If a muscle has been sprained over time it hurts but if the limb is held very still for a long time it will become both weak and more stiff and more painful until it becomes chronically sore. Reversing this into a virtuous circle means gradually moving and using the limb more and more even though this will be painful at first. This is a way of explaining that hurt does not always mean harm. I sometimes use the imagery of carrying something. For example, my arm is completely normal, there's nothing wrong with it, but if I carry a heavy weight by holding it above my head for several hours, my arm will become extremely painful because of the muscle spasm that occurs. When I relax my arm and allow the spasm to reduce, the pain will gradually go away. A useful metaphor for chronic pain can be that of the body having hardware and software, a bit like a computer. The hardware may be intact, as shown by normal tests and normal examinations, but things can still go wrong with the software, which is the brain and the nerves that run throughout the body. They may become wrongly calibrated and then malfunction. This is a bit like an intact computer, telephone, or tablet, which may still malfunction because the internet's not properly connected or because an app doesn't work properly. I'm going to talk briefly about a very general approach to helping patients with persistent physical symptoms. This chapter is mostly about the explanation and understanding of those symptoms. The details of treatment and rehabilitation approaches will vary according to the specifics of the patient's condition and I can't consider those in detail here. I'm going to focus mostly on the consultation skills that assists in the process of acceptance, pacing, rehabilitation and long-term care. First of all, using positive words about treatment or management strategies in explanations around possible treatments can be very useful. This could include words such as ease, comfortable, soothing, relaxing, relief, fade away and empowering words such as allow, for example, more mobility or encourage calm breathing or improve daily life. See also the talk module skills for essential skills for effective explanations and planning of personalized care. can words really be healing in their own right and how to change everything by using the small words skillfully and but if when. Developing a long-term therapeutic relationship with the patient is another important matter. This should be based around empathic communication, acceptance and respect, building on what is strong rather than focusing on what is wrong. The chapter called How to Enjoy Those Patients with Really Long-Term Problems, the Positive Bathe Method, can be very helpful here. Patients really value personal continuity of care, especially when their suffering and pain are long-term. There's an interesting BBC podcast called Tell Me Where It Hurts, which explores this, And this is referenced in the written materials that accompany this chapter. Another principle is to aim to treat what is treatable. This will include treatments for comorbidities of all kinds. This may also mean offering the patient care and treatment for an anxiety or depression which is caused by their symptoms and their difficulties. Be careful not to imply that the anxiety or depression are the cause of the symptoms which is easily seen as another way of saying it's all in your mind. It can be more useful to say that chronic pain has a big impact on people, that it's very wearing and exhausting, and that sometimes this can even tip people into becoming depressed. Sometimes the disturbed sleep can also make people depressed, and sometimes tackling that with a specific antidepressant can improve sleep, which in turn improves depression, which in turn may make people feel a bit better, even if their pain doesn't change much. The other important thing is to talk appropriately about what hope might mean. In many situations, patients themselves have lost hope. If asked, they may say they're hoping for a miracle cure, which is a bit disheartening to clinicians who don't have access to miracles, which I think is most of us. Instead, it can be helpful to turn the conversations towards realistic aims and hopes that can be approached incrementally. If the patient's hope is to be pain-free, the clinician could frame the first steps towards this as being, let's begin by noticing the times when the pain is least severe, so that the positive bathe method approach can lead to discussions about how the patient accounts for that period of improvement, however modest in extent. What was happening at that time? And how could we create those conditions to make them more frequent? It's easy for clinicians to become affected by the hopelessness and suffering of patients with persistent physical symptoms and to feel that they do not have much to offer. However, we do now have helpful explanations for many of the predisposing and maintaining factors for such symptoms and we can provide empowering explanations and we can provide kindly, empathic, and long-term care which empowers patients to help to develop solutions. In the context of an ongoing therapeutic relationship this can lead to care plans made in collaboration with informed patients personalized to their specific needs. A final consideration which I'd like to recommend is for all clinicians to understand the many and complex relationships between the early experiences of abuse and neglect and the experiences of distress and bodily symptoms in later life. These relationships are explored in a fascinating book called The Body Keeps the Score which is referenced in the written materials and also in the leaflet I recommended called Paid is Really Strange. Taking some time to deepen our own understanding of these matters can really help us to help our patients. This podcast was brought to you by NHS Professional Educators, making training available to all.